From runasradio.com, you're listening to Run As Radio, the internet audio talk show for IT professionals with Richard Campbell. This is Brandon Wen announcing show number 779, Backing Up Power Apps with guest April Dunham, recorded Thursday, June 3rd, 2021. Run As Radio is produced each week by Sound Thoughts LLC. For more information, visit soundthoughtsllc.com. You can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash runasradio. Thank you, Brandon. This is Richard Campbell, and thanks for listening to Run As Radio. My guest today is April Dunham, who is a senior power platform advocate at Microsoft, but it also is a process automation pro, a SharePoint siren, a karaoke queen, and a woman who codes, but teaches others to build apps and automation with zero code. And April uh, has a passion, love and passion for the Power Platform and maintains a blog on M365 and Power Platform related topics at SharePointSiren.com, along with YouTube, Twitter, and her GitHub contributions. Thank you for coming on the show, April. Yeah, happy to be here. Excited. I've been listening to the show for a while now. Oh, wow. Well, thanks. Um, I've been doing it for a while now. This will be episode 779. I should just about have this thing figured out. Maybe. <laughs> just about. <laughs> I got to figure out what something fun to do for show 800. I, I'm kind of out of ideas. <laughs> you know, zero, zero shows keep coming up every couple of years. Yeah. Uh, thanks for chatting about power apps It's one of these subjects that keeps coming around. Uh, I, you know, the, the reality is we don't seem to be getting to the bottom of the to-do list on all of these forms over data apps that organizations need. I, I talk to IT folks that are doing inventories of applications internally that are getting into the thousands, like thousands of custom built applications and many of them old, you know, visual basic access even. And they, you know, may or may not still be compilable, may, you know, maintainable, certainly can question their security. So to me, it seems like the power platform is a safe place to replace those apps. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it was, you name it, you mentioned, you know, Visual Basic stuff in Excel or Access or yeah. Path Forms and SharePoint Designer Workflows accompanying them. There's so many of those old technologies. And well, especially with InfoPath and SharePoint Designer at the time, you know, clock is ticking on those as far as how long they're going to be supported too. You know, yeah. 2026, that's coming faster than we realize. <laughs> I wish there was a great migration tool of InfoPath to, to Power Platform. And I hope somebody sits down and works yeah. on that for a while. That would be awesome. Because I know some folks have made big commits into InfoPath. Oh, yeah. I mean, heck, before I joined Microsoft and did my consulting business, that was a lot of what I was doing, actually, was InfoPath stuff for a while there and building forums before the Power Platform came mm -hmm. along. Just because it was so easy to do and, you know, how they could maintain it themselves and everything, like the customers. So, I mean, I, I did thousands of those things. So, yeah. I know there's probably there's a lot out there that I've even worked on. So. Yeah, it's frustrating. Um, and I understand, you know, why we've gone the way we have. I and mean, what I look at with Power Apps, when I'm talking at the sort of CTO level or CIO level, it's cloud-centric cross-platform. It doesn't matter what device you're using and so forth. And a lot of these other technologies, that was a real struggle. This seems to be the one where it's like, oh, you want to use it on an iPad? No biggie. Yeah. Right? Like that, that just works. Yeah, that's a huge distinguishing factor in it. You know, it take, you know, whether you're using low code technology before to build some of the stuff or you're using uh, code first tools, you know, like uh, 
Visual Basic or um, C Sharp, whatever it might be, mm-hmm. um, having to target your applications you're building for different devices, whether it's desktop or iPhone or Android and all that was a big pain and just made the cost and the time to build that exponential. So the fact that you can build one power app and it works seamlessly across your desktop, your tablet, iOS, Android devices um, is huge as far as a time savings factor. So the other aspect that I worry about is that I'm seeing most of the development in Power Platform not being done by professional developers, but rather the domain expert type. I'm not a fan of the term citizen developer. Like it, it, it almost seems denigrating to some respect. Like I, because I've been in software for so long, like I remember that era of folks that were domain experts that got smitten with access or VB as they were trying to automate their own work. And that ended up being their job. Like the, their ability to automate was more important. So they never trained as developers they were domain experts and they learned these tools and there's but there's subtlety to the tools source control you know being able to revert versions how do you back up this entire system properly so that you could restore it somewhere else like those are not if you didn't go to school for this stuff and lots even if you have it's often not taught the modern way to protect this stuff and i also think that one of the problems that power apps have is because it lives in the cloud we just presume it's safe like it's backed up I, I don't know if that's true. Is that true? <laughs> I mean, well, you know, so Power Apps itself. Well, first of all, you and me both, I don't really like the term citizen developer. Oh, I good. mean, I, I think, you know, a developer is a developer, like, you know, whether it's just the tools you're using. So if it's low-code mm-hmm. tools or if it's code-first tools. Um, but as far as being backed up in Power Apps, I mean, yeah, we... Obviously, in the cloud, we have built-in versioning for one. So if you do, if you're building a Canvas application, per se, and you make a mistake, something's not working, we can back up versions just like we would items in SharePoint list, files in SharePoint. So, I mean, that is there. And as far as, you know, continuing the story, like, well, how do we actually maybe maintain this true code? Like we would have a backup of our solution files and our source code. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have new features that have come out recently in the the past few months that made that story um, even more telling and feature rich to be able to truly back up our code beyond just the versioning that's built in. What are the things that we need to back up here? Like, is there a concept of a set of source code or a set of uh, access rights? Like, it's interesting to even think about backing up a power app. You know, there's many, there's a lot of things involved because, you know, a power app often is part of a larger solution, right? So you can have many things. You could have a Canvas app for a mobile device that's part of it. You could have uh, your Dataverse tables behind the scenes that's Mm -hmm. part of that as well. And those have their own security. You could have model-driven apps. You could have flows and Power Automate and even bots, all these pieces that make up a holistic solution that you're building. So that's why with the Power Platform, we offer the solutioning engine to be able to package all of those different assets that make up your holistic application into one solution. And you can back those up and move those between environments so they can have like a true application lifecycle management story that you would with traditional code. Nice. And you make, make the point. Often when we're building power apps, especially at the beginning, we're simply going over top of existing databases that are already backed up and protected and other software is driving them, right? Lots of folks I've seen have come up from this from a Power BI perspective, but then added other things in on top of that. It's interesting to think in terms of when you add, when a power app, like I think that was got to be a milestone when a power app starts wanting to add stuff to a database. And then is that backed up or did you put it in a different store and is that protected? Like that's all fascinating to me is how those things evolve. 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, there's so, I mean, the power of Power Apps as well, just the fact that you can mix and match so many different data sources, mm-hmm. right? Whether it's SharePoint or, or Dataverse or SQL and Azure on prem data and the 450 plus connectors that we can connect to the SaaS services. So obviously, there's going to be multiple layers there depending on what data you're connecting to as far as the strategy for backing up that corresponding underlying data. But, you know, the truest, best model that you can do perhaps is probably leveraging Dataverse to store the main data. So that you can package your data model along with your applications as well. But of course, it supports so many other ones and you can um, back those up as well, different methods. Do we need to dig a little into what we mean, what you mean, because I have never said this word, but as the the Dataverse. Yeah, so um, for those that might not be familiar with Power Platform, Dataverse is a data model and database that the Power Platform sets on. So not only is it powering the Power Platform, that's where the apps that you build kind of are stored. Um, It's backed by Azure. A lot of people don't know, like Dataverse is completely backed by Azure. It supports, um, you know, integrating within Azure as well. um, And that's what runs Dataverse itself. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's a data source that we can get to store our tabular information. It's a relational database, um, has rich features and controls and security and all that baked within it so we can store our data in there. So um, it's just one of the, the best data sources we can use because of that solution engine and we can package all of that data up within our assets there. This sounds like a place where the DBA hangs out too, to control access to data for the domain experts that are building these power apps. Exactly. So one of the benefits of Dataverse, so say if you're trying to make that decision of which data source should I use for Mm -hmm. my power app. I mean, SharePoint, as we know, um, I come from a SharePoint background, it's great, but it's not a relational database using SharePoint lists for your data. It could be good for kind of small, more lightweight applications and use cases, but there'll probably be a point where you scale out and you need some kind of true relational database. So you might have a a, SQL versus Dataverse decision to make or something like that. Now, obviously, SQL's been around for years, DBAs, and people are really familiar with that, and it definitely has its pros. But one of the things that sets Dataverse apart from, say, SQL, is that you actually don't have to be a DBA to know how to use Dataverse. It's very user-friendly. Someone that maybe, you know, came from a low-code background and not a code-first background can figure out how to use Dataverse and create simple views to information and add fields and columns and manage the data side of things. So, is Dataverse really a wrapper over top of some sort of these big table stores, like those kinds of constructs from a DBA perspective that are rather than relational data stores? This is just, we now put this under the umbrella of Dataverse? Uh, Yeah, well, Dataverse itself, I mean, it actually supports integrating multiple type of data. So, you know, it itself is a relational database, but you can get non-relational data like from Cosmos and connect to that and integrate that within Dataverse as well. So, yeah, it is kind of like a wrapper in a way to integrate all kinds of different types of data. So, from that perspective, isn't it in my best interest to steer all of my Power Apps developers to the Dataverse and then to surface SQL and other products through that? So there's kind of one stop shopping and more importantly, things that are not appropriate and they connect to just never appear. Yeah, I mean, that that obviously would be, you know, probably ideal just from a, a sheer, you know, compatibility and the feature richness of what you can get with the platform is kind of using that as the spot and then integrating, you know, with data flows, which are things where we can pull in data from multiple data sources into Dataverse that way. Nice. Yeah, but it, and it gives me a nice level of governance, right? That, that a DBA can sit in that place as an interface point 
to those folks building the, the power apps and know they're surfacing data in the right way, perhaps even constructing views at times to, to restrict data access and so forth. Like they have that capability. So, I, I mean, I'm really appreciating that the power apps doesn't have to be rogue. You know what I mean? Like there's, like I th- and again, I think back to those old days of access and VB and things where folks had their username and password turned out to have direct access to SQL and they were just building their own stuff. You know, how many SharePoint sites turned up that way? So the, the, the idea that we could work with our existing infrastructure, work with existing, you know, things that we have in place, just add a little layer onto it and let them play nicely with us and not do harm or, you know, create a rogue organization as adjacent to us. That's pretty compelling. For sure. And, you know, the whole power platform itself, there's so many layers of security that we can have from the environment layer itself, where we can have separate, complete environments, whether we target those for dev test and prod scenarios, or those are regional scenarios, which Mm -hmm. is a common one, or departmental. Those environments themselves have their own security. All of that obviously backed by Azure AD, which you can have security and security groups on, so you can restrict and target certain environments. All the way down, especially for using Dataverse as your database, um, you know, having group level security and even field and row level security. So um, you get kind of the best of, of both worlds yeah. there from a security level. And it's, so I can actually be applying security rules at the Dataverse level? Yes. Yeah. So if you take out, you have a table in Dataverse, which is, you know, kind of like a table in SQL, we can have security on that particular table. So that table is stored in an environment, which can have its own unique security as well. Mm-hmm. And in that table, we can even have security at the row level and at the column levels. Yeah. It's, it's an interesting thought about, you know, I may have applied specific row column rules in SQL, and then I surface mm-hmm. it in in power in uh, Dataverse, but then I could also apply different sets of rules at the Dataverse level as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And get into snarly traps if I do dumb things too. It's like, <laughs> which is a basic metric of any good tool. Like if you can't blow your toe off with it, it isn't powerful enough. Like, exactly. <laughs> so, but I'm so, sorry, in some ways, as soon as I see that, yeah, that could, I could get myself in trouble at, it must be good. Like there's, <laughs> there's a place for it to be, but I also appreciate a common set of security rules across multiple kinds of data stores that if I am using these, you know, simple table features or something out of Cosmos DB or I bet I could even wrap a text file up in, into Dataverse and, and sh- surface it that way too. I could apply security constraints to that. And that's pretty slick. Yeah. I mean, and, you know, just so many benefits too. Like one of the things I started off when I did Power Apps doing a lot of apps built in SharePoint because that's just what I was familiar with as a data source. And mm-hmm. when I started getting more into the Dataverse, there's just so many benefits. You know, take that file example. You know, it's kind of a pain to deal with files and images and stuff in SharePoint and surfacing those up in a Power App. You just got to do some workarounds and stuff, especially in the olden days. Right. You know, Dataverse, they have a file data type and they have an image data type and it's just seamless to be able to integrate that data in there. And then the security thing as well, that was always a common thing. Well, I want to lock down people from not being able to access that SharePoint list, but I need them to be able to use it in the app. Yeah. Or I need to be able to restrict people that can't see this view and all that. And you just your restrictions, you can't do that with SharePoint as data source, but it's just so much easier in Dataverse. And so then we get into this model of applications have their own credentials that give them access to data, but it's not, and it's not user credentials. Uh, right, well, the credentials, you know, it's it's all tied into a tenant. So it's as Azure AD credentials, and right. then you have to sign into the individual connectors. So, you know, depending on what connectors you're using, you have to authenticate into that as well. So if you have a Power App that's connecting to SharePoint, you have to have the right access when you initiate that connector to that underlying SharePoint list to be able to pull the data and do what the app needs. Right. And, 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 and avoid that scenario I just described where 
users had direct access to data because their credentials flowed all the way through. And we fought yeah. back on that pretty hard in classic enterprise applications. But it's good to see that same model reflected in Power Apps that you have those abstractions so things don't get too crazy. And I'm going to interrupt for one moment here, April, for this very important message. This episode of Run As is brought to you by SQL Intersection back at the Swan Hotel in Orlando, June 6th to 10th. You've heard the SQL Q&A shows we publish on Run As twice a year from SQL Intersection. That is a microcosm of the five days of awesome learning available to you from the real-world consultants and members of the SQL Server team that speak at the show. Learn proven problem-solving techniques and technologies you can implement immediately, as well as insight into the future of SQL Server. Get answers to performance monitoring, troubleshooting, designing for scale and performance, working in the cloud, and exploring all the new features of the latest version of SQL Server. And if you still have questions by the end of the week, join the closing session of SQL Intersection and be part of the SQL Q&A show on Run As Radio. SQL Intersection is at the Walt Disney World Swan and Dolphin Resort in Orlando, Florida, June 6th to 10th. Use code RUNAS to get a discount on your registration at SQLintersection.com, and I'll see you there. And we're back. It's Run As Radio. I'm Richard Campbell. That's April Dunham. We're talking a little bit about... Uh, sort of the governance side of Power Apps, I think. But you had mentioned earlier the development life cycle of a Power App. Because I, I do see folks that are now getting Power Apps built that are mission critical. That, that now doing updates to them is kind of a big deal. Like you want to have a testing cycle and if necessary to be able to revert. So is, is that side maturing now? Are we seeing much more of a, of a, of a life cycle side to Power App? Uh, definitely. And I think um, you can tell if you watched any of the build sessions, Power mm -hmm. Platform related, this was a huge, probably most of the story that was announced there at build. Uh, one new thing that's really exciting, you know, a few months ago, they released the ability to be able to package up and unpack your Power Apps Canvas app source code. Mm -hmm. So this was kind of like a long-standing gap that we had in functionality for a while. Um, how do we, for one, collaboratively develop on a Canvas app? Because it's you know kind of like having in the old days like a Word document open before co-authoring came along. If two people were in it at the same time, you know you would get that message like someone else is in this file. We can't work on it together. Right. So there's that side of the story, and then there's the side of the story of how do I actually back up my Canvas app code and have that in source control um, and move that between different environments. So we didn't have that before. A few months ago, they released a tool, but it was kind of a preview and its own standalone thing. Now, at Build, they announced that they have this brand new Visual Studio extension for Power Platform that you can integrate. And it has all of this command line tooling baked into it so we can manage our environments in it, do some admin functionality there. We can create PCF controls and we can unpack and pack those Canvas solution files um, so that we can work with those with inside Visual Studio. So it takes everything that you have in your Canvas app, unpacks all the contents, um, uses YAML in the back end for that, so that we can go and actually edit our Canvas apps in Visual Studio code if we need to make mass changes to it, whatever we need to do, and then put that in the source code. So that's a huge step forward in the ALM process for Canvas apps. Wild. And is that Visual Studio, Visual Studio code, or both? Both. Okay. So, and Visual Studio Code being just the editor, although they have debuggers and things associated with it, but it's that style of sort of separate concerns versus the integrated development environment that is Visual Studio proper. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I was just like looking at the VS Code for an extension earlier, and it's such so intuitive. I'm just super happy about it because that was one of the things that I struggled with is there were so many different command line toolings that you had to go for just to do different things in the Power Platform. The fact that they kind of put this all into one tool is is really great. Yeah. Uh, well, and it's and it's interesting to see different people's reaction. Like we talk about how these domain experts have not been in development for, for quite a while. Like that, that's this has sort of been an emerging thing on the power platform side. And I think part of it is that studio just got so vast. Like that's an intimidating place to go to the first time. Yeah, because it it is kind of this Swiss Army knife. Like there's so many different things you can do in studio. It's tough to sort of narrow down to this is what I want to do. And I, in some ways, I feel like VS Code's an easier entry give you a nicer environment to work in, but there is power to the IDE if you can get your head around it, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, you know, kind of going on to that ALM story as well, the other thing they announced to build that was really cool um, is this solution accelerator component to, it's kind of a piece that they've added to the Center of Excellence toolkit that they've had out there for a while. Uh, it's really cool. It's two Canvas app, Power Apps, actually, that allow you to manage your ALM process. So you mm-hmm. can actually import a solution that will go and it can run uh, pipelines and Azure DevOps automatically for you to uh, unpack the code and move it between d- different environments and all of that. And you can manage that. You can um, get your Git changes, do pull requests, delete solutions, and manage all of that through a Power App. So if you're not comfortable going directly um, you know, like in Azure DevOps or tools like that, you can actually manage the process within Power Apps itself. Sure. But it, and I think you're also crossing this line of when existing applications that Power Apps depends on, some back-end pieces, things like that, iterate, can the Power App iterate as well or they can resonate with each other. So, you you know, it's good that you're dragging them into the Azure DevOps pipeline because we're seeing more and more that's how we manage big updates to, to internal applications. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And they're just that's a big area that they're investing in is deepening that integration with Azure DevOps and the Power Platform. Mm-hmm. That's very exciting. Yeah, it's a, it's a lot of moving parts. What have we got for testing? Is there are, are there specific tooling around it or is it still very much take the app out for a spin? Uh, there's integrated testing within Canvas apps, particularly too, that mm-hmm. they released. So um, there's the monitor tool that you can run and it'll actually inspect, uh, you know, kind of a log what's going on behind the scenes in your app for running into any issues. Uh, it's pretty cool. You can invite people to a monitoring session. So if you have a user that's running into an issue in your Canvas app, you can send them a link, invite them to the session and watch real time the log of what's going on, see if there's, they're getting any like unauthorized errors or whatever it might be right. and be able to help troubleshoot that way and then we have the idea well and i love your hint right there of authorization issues right yeah. <laughs> because we are trying to keep this you know locked down most of the time in some ways i feel like better than most internal code-centric development practices power apps works with its security on all the time like you don't get to retrofit security in after the fact so exactly, it's extremely secure, and that's why I mentioned authorization issues because probably the most common thing yeah. that I run no, into. I mean, I mean you got a grin because it's like, oh, you've done this, you've been there yeah. with that one. No one <laughs> would talk about authorization issues at testing unless they've been there with that particular problem. Yeah, for sure. Oh man, yeah, constant And is that Test Studio that you use for that? It's just called Monitor. It's baked right into the Canvas app. So there's a little gear with a toolbar in the Canvas app studio. And if you click on that, there's a tool called Monitor and it opens up a debugging session. Right. And so, yeah, being able to surface that to my InfoSec guys, my IT folks, my DBAs, 
maybe a dev uh, to help out, just understand where things are, what it's actually trying to access under the hood. So. Yeah. And then uh, we also, too, have some unit testing capability built into Canvas apps. Mm-hmm. I believe that's still um, in preview slash experimental, uh, but the monitoring tool is, is generally available. Um, but you can do some true unit testing scenarios to automate the testing of your Canvas apps with that tool baked into Canvas apps as well. That also means getting folks that are not professional developers, but have been building these pretty cool apps to start thinking in terms of unit tests, which I think is a whole other can of worms. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, it's a really intuitive experience. You just kind of click through the actions and it records the actions that you're running right. in, the, in the studio there. So yeah, it gives a way for people that aren't used to or don't even know what unit testing is uh, to be able to to do that themselves. But also the appropriate time to show that is when they're having this problem. Yeah. Right. Like, okay, you know, for some reason this isn't working. It's behaving in a way you didn't, you didn't think of. You made a change and, and now you're trying to figure out why that happened. Let's go through these testing procedures. So, yeah, you exactly. can, we can walk. I don't know, in some ways, I feel like we're slowly, we're going to walk these folks into becoming very professional dev minded long term. But, uh, but it is sort of a piece by piece. It makes sense to learn in the field. Like you need to have this problem before you understand why it's a problem. Oh, yeah. And then also, too, I mean, I, I mean, maybe for a lot of them, or maybe walking them into thinking more in a traditional development mindset, yeah. but then also maybe not, you know, because I think there's a story there. You probably heard Microsoft talk about this a million times lately, of uh, fusion developments. I mean, this is not a new concept, um, but we're just, just gaining a lot of steam, especially within Microsoft lately, of the, the collaborative development of code first people, IT pros working with the non-traditional developers using the low-code technology like Power Platform right. um, to help. So maybe it is an area where that's something an IT pro or code first staff would probably handle or maybe handle the unit testing side of things and then the monitoring session, whereas maybe the low-code dev just who knows the business process really well builds a lot of the solution and then you know you can work together on these things in that, unique ways like that. I wonder if we're going to – it makes sense that we'll eventually get there. I don't know if we're there yet that – what happens when Power App devs are just devs and they're just going into the same QA process that every other developer in the organization lives with and, and understands the value of? So it's interesting you think that the tooling is getting closer to that model where it could, it could simply drop into the normal QA pipeline like any other application. Yeah, definitely. It is interesting. And I think, you know, we'll probably get there um, eventually. So, and that to you, I mean, we really should define fusion development because... I'm pretty sure it has nothing to do with with atomic fusion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, really all it is is the story of different skill sets right. of people working together to solve business problems. So whether the people that we've been talking about this this whole episode here, um, the low-code developers that know the business process but don't have backgrounds and, you know, traditional development – giving them into the process and involved into the process so that they can build part of the solution and be part of the solution envisioning and building right. along with those code first and IT pros who know the security side of things and the management and the governance and, you know, adding extensions, whether it's Azure functions or whatever it might be um, and, and figuring out the best way to solve the problem and working on it together. That's really all fusion development is. Yeah. And I wonder if pro de- devs aren't going to look more seriously at these low code solutions because they are so wildly productive too. like they, their ability to get something done together against an existing set of data is astonishing. Yeah. I mean, that's a big part of it too. Even if, I mean, just for, just take code first developers, you know, pro devs, whatever you want to call them and, you know, just focus on that for a minute. There's so many 
benefits of leveraging the power platform and low-code technology yeah. for your job. I mean, we don't have to worry if we're building a power app, again, like we mentioned earlier, having to target that and do different things for iOS versus Android. We don't have to worry about authentication. That's one of the biggest pains, you know, sure. of developers' existence is building in all these auth methods. That's just baked into the connector model and power apps. And we can save so much time by utilizing that as part of our, you know, solutions that we build. Well, and it's not like anybody was getting to the bottom of the to-do list anyway, right? Like there's... Yeah. There's, I'm looking at these landscapes of hundreds, even thousands of apps that want to be available cross-platform, want to be able to be, you know, we normally have to be VPN or internal only. Like Power Apps addresses a lot of that stuff. So if you're really going to re-engineer them, anytime someone's going to take an old app like it and even consider re-engineering, I mean, if, if I was the CTO, I'm like, have you considered the low-code solution? Like justify to me why you wouldn't use that from a from a productivity feature set perspective it's hard to argue with yeah definitely i think that should you know and i think we're seeing it more and more be part of the discussion and the evaluation process is you know you have to talk yourself into why not to use it and so you know that should be at the kind of the first thing that comes to mind in a lot of these scenarios do you find certain class of applications that just aren't appropriate for power apps these days i mean i think the forms over data debate is over like for most forms over data this seems a pretty darn good solution but i'm trying to think of things where it's like you're going to want to custom code that um, I mean, I'm trying to think of like particular examples that pop to my head, obviously, and the more, so we have a connector model and then there's really ways that we can extend it though. Even if there's not a built-in connector, you can create a custom connector. I guess right. one could maybe be like the volume of use. And I mean, you have to, you know, the cost analysis and all of that side of things in the sure. app, um, you know, since it is, you know, not a consumption model and, you know, kind of a licensing per user type model for, for some of this. I mean, that can might be a, a reason um, why, but that's less and less, especially for building more and kind of going, leaning into the platform. And especially on the internal app side, I was only thinking in terms of stuff like maybe I have a special hardware device or I'm working with on you outside of the typical form factors. Like if you're just working with phones and tablets and things, Power Apps is going to be fine. But if you're doing anything remotely exotic, it's going to hit a wall pretty fast and you might want specialized devices for that. Yeah. And there's no substitute for the code on the back end. Like you still need to build your APIs and things like that. But yeah, the wrestling match is the UX for certain classes of work because it does seem to solve that problem really efficiently. Yeah, exactly. And then, I mean, there's there's so many things that we can extend it with to where I I can't think and be hard pressed to think of really unique scenarios where it's not a good fit because we can extend it with custom code as well. Um, in a lot of cases. Yeah. Well, and then that's where a, a, a code first developer would come into play to build that extension uh, to enable a whole array of, of folks to be able to develop against it. So, exactly. Yeah. I, okay. I, I feel more comfortable with that Fusion developer line oh. that's been coming up lately. It's like, that's like that crazy event, but it's maybe it's just a transitory term before we just acknowledge that these low-code solutions are development, just like every other kind of development. Yeah, I think so. I mean, and if, if anyone listening wants to learn more about it, we did just release the learning path on mm-hmm. docs.microsoft.com that talks about exactly what Fusion development is, gives you a, a scenario of how different teams would work in a Fusion development process. You right. can go to aka.ms forward slash learn dash Fusion dev if you want to check that out to learn a little bit more about that. Awesome. Thanks, Link. I'll include it. And uh, April, so much fun to talk to you. I really appreciate your views on uh, on making Power Apps just a routine part of our, our our suite of skills inside of an organization. Yeah, awesome. Hopefully, uh, we've addressed any of uh, the pain points or um, kind of a 
assumptions people had uh, with the Power Platform. Well, I guess we'll find out. They can write a comment on the website or on the Facebooks or on the LinkedIn's. Let us know. And, uh, and if I read those comments on the show, I'll send you a mug. And you're getting a mug anyway. I've got your address. So there'll be a Run As Mug coming to you. Thanks again for coming awesome. on the show. Thanks for having me. And we'll talk to you next time on Run As Radio. Mm-hmm.